All right, today we begin reading through the book of Acts, and we have finished our journey through the Gospels, and uh, now we come to a, a historical narrative in the book of Acts. We're coming to the second volume written by Luke. Uh, the book of Acts is, in essence, part two to the Gospel of Luke. Note that, uh, for example, each book, both uh, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, is addressed to the same person, Theophilus, mentioned in Luke 1.3 and Acts 1.1. Luke also begins Acts by making a reference to the first book that he wrote to Theophilus in Acts 1.1. That, that would seem, seem to be the Gospel of Luke, implying that Acts would be the second book in this series. And uh, the implication also is that where the, the Gospel of Luke recounted all that Jesus began to do and teach, Acts 1.1, his second book, the book of Acts, would recount all the things that he would continue to do. How so? Well, the book has been commonly called the Acts of the Apostles, but a better and more accurate title might be the Acts of the Risen and Ascended Lord Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. That's a mouthful, though. Acts is a remarkable work, and it's really a page-turner if you really think about the things that it describes. And I hope you benefit from your reading and study of it, so... Let's, let's dig in and think about two or three things. First, Jesus ascends. As the book begins, Luke gives the account of the final resurrection appearance of Jesus before his ascension back into heaven. Uh, Luke mentions that Jesus had given commands to them. Among them, presumably, was the Great Commission. And promises that in a matter of days, the Holy Spirit would be poured out on them like never before in order to equip and, and empower them to fulfill the commands that he had just given them. It was at this time, Luke tells us in verse 9, that when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up and a cloud took him out of their sight. What is even more significant is the fact that while they were still marveling in astonishment at what they had just witnessed, it says, uh, it says two men in white robes, that is angels, appeared and, and in verse 11 said, this Jesus who was taken from you into heaven will come again in the same way that you saw him go into heaven. Now, the key phrase in that statement is, in the same way, Jesus will come again in the same way that we saw him go into heaven. Well, what does that tell us? A couple of things. First, it declares to us the certainty of his coming. There was no question in their minds that Jesus had just ascended, ascended into heaven. They, they saw it with their own eyes. And in that same way, that is, just as certainly as he went away, he will come again. Well, what is Jesus doing while he's away? Um, well, Paul says he ascended to the right hand of the Father, and in 1 Corinthians 15, 25, will reign there until he has put all his enemies under his feet. This he will do in his own time, and it is certain that he will, because just as certainly as he went away, he will also come again. But also, when it says... Uh, he, will, he will come again in the same way. It tells us something about Jesus himself. It doesn't just tell us something about the certainty of his coming again, but also the manner of his coming again. In what manner did he ascend? As a man in human flesh. It was a, re it was a resurrected body for sure, but he without question was still the God-man in human flesh. It was Luke, after all, who at the end of his gospel emphasized this by noting that after his resurrection, Jesus 
ate fish with his disciples, Luke 24, 42, and 43. He was a glorified man. He was the God-man still, but he had, he, 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 when he took on human flesh, he took it on forever. <laughs> and, and he was a glorified man now, but a man nonetheless. And when Jesus, like I said, when he humbled himself and he took on human flesh to be our substitute for salvation, it was for eternity. He reigns right now as the God-man, Jesus Christ. Uh, and, and as he ascended into heaven as a man right before their eyes, he will come again in the same way as a man. But make, make no mistake, though he will still be uh, clothed in human flesh when he returns, he will come as a king, having put all his enemies under his feet. Secondly, the blueprint uh, of the book. One of the most well-known and quoted verses in the book is Acts 1.8. There in the midst of Jesus' final instructions to his disciples, Jesus said in verse 8, but you will receive power, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be uh, my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And there's a couple of main points that I would make regarding that verse. First, this verse explains to us something about the role of the Holy Spirit. I believe what Jesus is saying here is fulfilled in Acts 2 and carried throughout the rest of the book. In other words, when Jesus says to them that the Holy Spirit would come upon you, this is another way of referring to being filled with the Holy Spirit. There are different terms and different phrases throughout the book for this same reality, but notice, what is the main purpose uh, in this verse uh, about the Holy Spirit coming upon and filling them? What is that purpose? And Jesus says in verse 8, it's, you will be my witnesses. The Holy Spirit does many things in us, but never to the neglect of this one task, being witnesses of the Lord Jesus and of his saving grace. The Holy Spirit not only works in us to draw us to Jesus, and make us like Jesus, but also to speak and witness for Jesus. This truth is manifested in every chapter throughout the rest of the book of Acts. But secondly, about Acts 1-8, as we noticed back in our discussion of events mentioned in Mark chapter 13, Acts 1-8 turns out to be a blueprint for the whole book of Acts. The gospel is preached in Jerusalem and in all Judea in chapters 1 through 7. Then we find the gospel then being preached in Samaria, in chapter 8, especially verses 4 and 5. And then finally, the gospel is taken to the Gentiles, that is, to the end of the earth, beginning in chapter 9, with the conversion and commission of Paul for that task. The rest of the book is about the missionary travels of Paul taking the gospel to the Gentile nations. So, understood in this way, Acts 1.8 lays out a roadmap for how the book of Acts will unfold. It's kind of like, uh, chapter headings or divisions with the end of the earth referring to the Gentile nations. The Holy Spirit in us can accomplish far more abundantly than all that we ask or think if we yield ourselves to him and abide obediently in the word of Christ. Well, um, at the end of this chapter, we see the wait begins. As the chapter comes to a close, they choose Matthias to replace uh, Judas among the twelve, and they immerse themselves in devoted prayer as they wait uh, for the promise of Jesus to send the Holy Spirit to come to pass. Verse 14 says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. And as we proceed in the book, we notice that this emphasis doesn't change after the Holy Spirit comes. It's not as if they devote themselves to pray only until the Holy Spirit comes. No, once the Spirit comes, they devote themselves to prayer even more strongly. And we could learn a lot from their example. We today, on the whole, are a prayerless people. I'm ashamed of how little I pray in comparison to those first Christians. Prayerlessness uh, is an unspoken confession that we have no need for the Lord's help, and, it, 
and we are just fine in our own strength. That's what we say, basically, when we don't pray. Uh, and considering how little impact Christians are making in our culture today compared to the first Christians in their day, I'd say their attitude toward prayer and their practice of prayer was the right one. And those are some thoughts from Acts chapter 1.